Right, good morning. Hope everyone's doing well. Um, I've been told not to talk about my weekend, but I'll post pictures of where Jude and I were on Facebook later on today. So anyway, uh, fun little inside joke. So this morning we're ending our series on the book of Acts with this sermon called Disrupted. And we're going to be in the book of Acts chapter 10. So if you want to go ahead and turn there, whether that be in your Bibles or your devices, that is where we're going to be all morning. We can wait on that for just one second. Um, because I want to tell a story that a few weeks ago, uh, our family went to historic Fort Walton Beach uh, for a quick family vacation. We went, <laughs> people say, Jeff, people say, uh, went to historic Fort Walton Beach, um, ate at cl- classic restaurants along the beach. But uh, we went to the beach and we came back on Sunday. We, we joined in on worship online, uh, listened to it in scenic uh, central Mississippi. Uh, but when we got home later that evening, uh, I got one of those notifications from Amazon that my Amazon package was ready in one of those Amazon lockers that maybe you've seen at Whole Foods or Kohl's, somewhere like that, where you just go scan your phone, the door opens, super easy, super convenient. So if you're not home, use the Amazon lockers. So we, we get home and I get that notification that my package is ready. So I get into my car, uh, which is another classic, Jeff, a 2010 Honda Accord. Um, but I get in my car and I turn the engine and it sounds something awful. Like it's, it's rattling. It, like I'm not a mechanic by any sort. Like let's just not even pretend. You can laugh. But I knew just from the feel and the sound alone that something was wrong. And then I, I looked at the dashboard and it was like Christmas morning already. Like every light was lit up. And I thought, what a treat. You know, it's, we're, it's mid-May. Something fun is about to happen. And so I go and I lift the hood. I have a car, not a, a Amish buggy. I lift the hood of the car and I see a a beautiful nest. Um, Kind of a home is where the heart is situation. And I see that um, some type of animals we believe to be chipmunks, we hope that they're chipmunks, um, have burrowed a full-on nest in my car engine, just right in the middle of it. I'm talking mulch, little cotton things they found. I mean, just they had a ball in the weekend that we were gone. They were like, guys, the humans have left. Let's set up shop in this engine. And so I I do kind of what anyone would do in that situation where I just, you know, I start picking out the nest and throwing the stuff away. And then once I clear it all, I can see that my engine wires are no longer attached. Um, And those those fun little guys had a good old snack on that that engine wires. And so what happened was um, they just went to town, built a nest, went ahead, chewed all those engine wires, And so what I had to do was, you know, call our insurance company, tow it to a mechanic. And if you're doing math at home, we immediately went from a two-car family to a one-car family. Like the last week of school for Judah, we had places to go. All of a sudden, we've got to arrange stuff. Like I have to run my schedule by Whitney. I'm asking Whitney and Isla to drop me off at work after we dropped Judah off from school. It was was a, a disrupted week for me, but then it got worse because the problems continued as the the mechanics started looking at my issues, they were like, hey, these guys just really went to town. And the more wires they checked, the more they had chewed on the wires. And so the car ended up being in the mechanics shop for a little bit longer than that. And so Whitney had a trip planned with her family. They were going to go rafting in Missouri. So if you're keeping score at home, we went from a two-car family to a one-car family to a zero-car family. But I remembered that because of Chennault Valley Church, I have earned my CDL, which means that although we were down two cars, we were up one bus. 
And I decided that if Whitney was going to have to go, that was fine. It would just be the weekend, and I would drive that 25-passenger StarCraft bus around Metro Little Rock. And I did. Uh, The other day, Lisa Lancaster said, I could have swore I saw the bus going to Chipotle. And I said, you did, Lisa, because when you're in a church bus, you're limited. You can't eat everywhere. You're not doing a drive-through. You're going to where you can get in and out parking space-wise. Now, the the issue has been resolved, and they're awesome people that were like, hey, do you want to drive one of our vehicles? And I was like, I have not earned the right to drive anybody else's vehicles. I don't want, you know, squirrels to live in your vehicle like they've lived in mine. But but I tell that story because over a period of like a week and a half, Mike, my life was disrupted. Now, it wasn't a major life event. Like it was something that was resolved through going to the mechanic, insurance, all that stuff. But our, our lives were disrupted because of this event that happened. Now, often, any time that a disruption in our life happens, we look at it as a negative. And we say, okay, God, why are you punishing me here? God, why are you putting me in this situation of pain and frustration and agony? But I believe that when God chooses to disrupt us in our lives, it's not always a negative. Often disruptions coincide with growth and opportunity and hope. But it's all about how we view those moments and those experiences now, I could have looked at that, that, that past week and been like, this is the worst week of my life. It would not have been. But I could have been like, this is terrible. But the reality was, I got to spend a weird amount of time going from point A to point B with Whitney and Isla. And those are situations that we normally don't do in a regular week. Our schedules were really coordinated for the first time in a long time solely because they had to be. I became very aware of the escalating gas prices when I drove a 25-passenger bus recreationally around Little Rock. Uh, it was really fun, really fun. Um, I, I put in a little bit of gas at one place and went in. And I was like, guys, I don't think your pumps are working because like, it, it didn't move the needle at all in the bus. But I, but I tell that story to say that disruptions at times can be good. And the last story that we're going to look at in the book of Acts is when an individual's life is disrupted for good. And so now let's go to that stand in verse uh, 1 of chapter 10. At Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius a centurion in what was known as the Italian Regiment. He and all his family were devout and God-fearing. He gave generously to those in need and prayed to God regularly. One day at about three in the afternoon, he had a vision. He distinctly saw an angel of God who came to him and said, Cornelius, what is it, Lord? He asked. The angel answered, your prayers and gifts to the poor have come up as a memorial offering before God. Now send men to Joppa to bring back a man named Simon, who is called Peter. He is staying with Simon the Tanner, whose house is by the sea. Now let's pause right there. Let's go back to stand for me. So that first thing that we see in the life, go back one more to verse 1. Perfect. Um, The first thing that we see in this is kind of a, a quick biography of who Cornelius is. Like we know that he's a member of the Italian regiment, which means he's a, a Roman soldier. Um, we know that he is a, a God-fearing man. He's devout. He is somebody that is generous. And he's somebody that relies on God through prayer. Now we see that list of good things, but our, our main character in the story, Peter, would not have been able to see those three things. And there's a reason why Luke is introducing Cornelius in this way, especially when you look at the, the idea of disruption. Because Peter's life is about to be disrupted. Because what Peter sees is not that this is a a God-fearing man, not that this individual prays, 
Not that this individual is generous and gives alms to the poor. What Peter sees, and the only thing that Peter would have been able to see in this moment, is that this man is a Gentile. And Peter doesn't associate with Gentiles. So let's go ahead, go to that last one in, in the first section, Sam. This one, yes. When the angel who spoke to him had gone, he called two of his servants and an devout soldier who was uh, one of his attendants. He told them everything that had happened and sent them to Joppa. Now, I've already introduced Peter because Peter is a, a crucial part of the story. I mean, for, for, not to disrespect Cornelius by any means, but Peter is, is really the main figure in this story. But Cornelius has a huge supporting role. But I want you to think about how Cornelius responds to God's instruction versus how in a moment we're going to see how Peter responds to it. Because what Cornelius does is actually incredibly encouraging. It's something that as I've studied this text, I see it and I want to be someone like Cornelius. Because when Cornelius has this encounter with an angel of the Lord, what Cornelius does is he says, yes, God. He doesn't argue with God. He doesn't debate with God. He doesn't present a case that says, God, I don't, this isn't what we're going to do right now. Cornelius says, yes, God. And when you compare that with how we're about to see how Peter responds, we should look at those moments and say, okay, who do we really want to be like? Do we want to be like this character that is looked down upon by Peter just because he's a Gentile? Or do we want our lives to be disrupted and see that God is moving in ways that maybe we are not ready for, but God is working in our hearts to change us? Now, he's going to send him to Joppa, and we've got a map here. This would have been, um, in in a really weird way, a beautiful journey for these individuals. Um, They wouldn't have gone. They probably would have gone along the coast. You can see Caesarea up at the top and Joppa there uh, kind of halfway down the bottom. That's about a 35-mile walk. Um, for these guys. Now, I say that because it shows you how serious Cornelius was about going to get Peter. I think that even if it was a hundred-mile journey, Cornelius would have said, yes, God. But I point this out and to show this map because these individuals, they weren't going down the street. Like, they weren't going to North Little Rock. They were going a distance to go find Simon Peter. So the text continues in verse 9. About noon the following day, as they were on their journey, this is the individuals that Cornelius has sent, and approaching the city, Peter went up on the roof to pray. He became hungry and wanted something to eat. Who among us has not become hungry when they're praying? Um, So he became hungry and wanted something to eat, and while the meal was being prepared, he fell into a trance. The Greek word here that we're seeing in trance is the word that we get from ecstasy. And so I point that out to say, like, this is supposed to be an enlightening experience for Peter. You you don't get that sentiment at all when you see the word trance. Because with trance, you kind of think of something like you're immobilized, you're not going to learn anything. But really, the Greek word that's there is the word ecstasy. Uh, He saw heaven open and something like a large sheet being let down to earth by its four corners. Very similar to these screens that we have on my left and right. It contained all kinds of four-footed animals as well as reptiles and birds. And birds. (laughs) Really hit birds there hard. And birds. Um, Then a voice told him, get up, Peter, kill and eat. Now, let's pause right there. Go back, Stan. Because how many of you throughout your life or at one point in your life participated in something called Bible Bowl or Lads Leaders? So yeah, we've got a few. Okay, so thank you, Jamie Banks, Wendy, excellent. We'll have, a, we'll have a quiz later on. But I grew up doing Bible Bowl. What Bible Bowl and Lads to Leaders was, was a, a, a really good way to teach kids Scripture. It was. 
It is a very good thing. Don't, nobody's going to get up here and think that I'm mocking Bible Bowl. That's not what I'm doing. You know, don't tell on me. But what happened with Bible Bowl, and I, I grew up in it, I loved it. Because what it was, was it taught me how to memorize Scripture. I, I could proof text just about anything as a young kid because of how I learned to read the Bible and Bible Bowl. I knew all the answers. And what they did was they would often put your church team up against another church team, and you'd go at it. Like, you would let those other Church of Christ kids know, like, who was in charge, who had the better, you know, Bible knowledge. This was a real thing. Some of you are looking at me strange, like, this was a thing that happened, I think that still happens in Nashville. But, um, so like every, you know, I think it was around Easter, which is always, yeah, Easter, which is always cool that that's what we do. But around Easter, you would go to uh, Opry, Opryland, I think, in, in Nashville, and you would have this big competition. Now, I bring that up, and, and why I'm trying to connect the dots between lads to leaders and this specific passage, is because Peter is going to respond to this command in the same way that I would have on how I grew up, where I was proof texting. I knew the answer, but I didn't know the application. I could tell you where the verse was, what it said, all the nooks and crannies of the verse, but I could not tell you how that verse was supposed to be applied. I did that for a long, long time in my life. It it ruined a lot of relationships because I was more interested in being right than I was applying what the Scripture was doing. And so you see this very quickly, and we have to understand this. And this is why I've laid the foundation for who Peter is and how Peter is going to respond to even a, a subtle interaction with Cornelius. See, Peter knows Cornelius is a Gentile. And he's also going to go into this knee-jerk reaction to say, this is not kosher. I know, God, that I'm not supposed to eat this. And Peter would have been ready with his Bible verses and saying, I actually know this is where you said, God, that I'm not supposed to eat this. And so it contained all kinds of four-footed animals as well as reptiles and birds. Then a voice told him, get up, Peter, kill and eat. Next slide for me. Surely not, Lord, Peter replied. I have never eaten anything impure or unclean. Peter immediately kicks it into old school mode. He's like, this is not kosher. I'm not going to eat this. God, I've, I've prepared for this test. I've practiced for this test. I know that I'm not supposed to do this. I can quote the scripture. Now think about this for just a second and how Cornelius responds to God's commands. Yes, they are different. Cornelius is commanded to send someone to go get Simon Peter. But it's the same conversation piece, really. Because when Cornelius is faced with a situation, Cornelius says, yes, God. But Peter immediately goes into this, but God, I'm not going to do this. But God, do you know what's going on in my life right now? But God, do you know how challenging this could be if if I went with you on this journey? And you see the differences between the two characters, right? Often when we read scripture, we look at Peter and we say, okay, this is who I want to model my life after. But we're seeing something different in the life of Cornelius. Cornelius is a yes God man. But Peter is saying, but God, I'm not going to do this. So the voice spoke to him a second time. Do not call anything impure that God has made clean. This happened three times. And immediately the sheep was taken back into heaven. Now think about that for a second. It takes one quick interaction with God for Cornelius to prepare men to go on a 35-mile journey 35 mile, it's 35 miles, not 35 mile an hour journey, but a 35 mile journey to go get Simon Peter. It's immediate, it's responsive, it's yes, God. 
But then when God challenges Peter, when he attempts to disrupt Peter's life, Peter rejects it. There's three interactions. And do you see also that Peter never eats the food? That's something that's often overlooked in the story. It's three times God tries to provide Peter with disruption, and he still rejects it. Time after time after time. So later in the day, in verse 21, Peter went down and said to these, the men arrived. But Peter went down and said to the men, I am the one you're looking for. Why have you come? The men replied, we have come from Cornelius, the centurion. He is a righteous and God-fearing man who is respected by all the Jewish people. A holy angel told him to ask you to come to his house so that you could hear what you have to say. Then Peter invited the men into the house to be his guest. So Peter will eventually go to Cornelius' house. Which, in my opinion, as we've looked at the story and as we've outlined it, it's kind of incredible that Peter actually goes with these men because he still has not done what God has commanded him to do. But now in this moment, Peter is, he's like, okay, I'm, I'm going to go up the coast. I'm going to go to Caesarea. I'm going to see what's up there. While they were talking with him, <clears throat> verse 27, Peter went inside and found a large gathering of people. He said to them, now think about this if you showed up at a party and this is how you started talking. You're well aware that it is against our law for a Jew to associate with you with or visit a Gentile. Like, there's a period there which means like that's how my man started off this conversation. This is a rough start to meeting anyone. Like, have you ever been in a social situation where you immediately start with like, I should not be around you? Like, that is rough. And this is how Peter starts off this. And I point that out because that is how ingrained this is in Peter's life. Like, do you see, like, even in the beginning of this dialogue, Peter is saying, I'm right. I know I'm right. I've been taught that I'm right. I know the answer is that I'm right. But God has shown me that I should not call anyone impure or unclean. So when I was sent for you, I came without raising any objection. May I ask why you sent for me? Next text. Cornelius answered, Three days ago, I was in my house praying at this hour at three in the afternoon. Suddenly a man in shining clothes stood before me and said, Cornelius, God has heard your prayer and remembered your gifts to the poor. Send to Joppa for Simon, who is called Peter. He is a guest in the home of Simon the Tanner, who lives by the sea. Humble brag. So I sent for you immediately, and it was good of you to come. Now we are all here in the presence of God to listen to everything the Lord has commanded you to tell us. And Peter does this thing that is beautiful when you look at the trajectory of Peter's life. Because in this moment, Peter recognizes that God is trying to introduce him to something new. And we've seen those moments, right, in, in, in culture, in life, when someone is introduced to something new. I think Stan's got a video ready for me, because I found this video a while ago of a kid trying bacon for the first time. Do you have that queued up, Stan? All right, let's go for it. Yum. Houston, is that good? <laughs> bacon. bacon.
Okay, so I saw that video and I thought about the, these moments in life when God introduces something new to us, how it can change us for the good. Like often the disruptions that come into our lives don't always have to be negative and painful, but they can be moments of growth and new hope. See, when Peter responds in verse 34, it says, Then Peter began to speak, I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism, but accepts from every nation the one who fears him and who does what is right. You know the message God sent to the people of Israel, announcing the good of news of peace through Jesus Christ, who is our Lord, who's Lord of all. You know what has happened throughout the province of Judea, beginning in Galilee, after the baptism that John preached. How God appointed, anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power, and how he went around doing good and healing all who were under the power of the devil, because God was with them. Now, I've thought a lot about how this text applies to where we are as a church, as a church community. And if you were with us last week at the church timeline event, I, I loved the conversation. I learned a lot about Chanel's history and got excited about Chanel's past, or about its future. But there was one comment that stood out that, that I'm going to bring up. He's not here today, but if you were there, hopefully you heard what Rylan Henry said. Um, Rylan Henry often, at the end of my sermons, will do this clap thing for me that is both encouraging and intimidating, because I, I can't tell if Rylan is making fun of me or not. But Rylan, during the talk, pointed out the timeline event, that after periods of, of pain and struggle with this church, what has followed is periods of hope and joy. And I thought about that a lot this week as I was working on the sermon I didn't anticipate learning a lot from my man, Rylan Henry, and having those moments of like, oh my goodness, this kid is on to something. But he is. When you look at the past of Chanel, you see those moments of pain and frustration that, that go along that timeline, but you also see periods of growth and joy and hope that follow those. And you see that in this text as well, starting in verse uh, 44. While Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit came on all who heard the message. Circumcised believers who had come with Peter were astonished that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on Gentiles, for they heard them speaking in tongues and praising God. Now watch what happens next. Then Peter said, Surely no one could stand in the way of their being baptized with water. They received the Holy Spirit just as we have. So he ordered that they be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. And they asked Peter to stay with him a few days. Do you see what happens after that disruption? Like if we allow God to use those moments in our life that we've often looked at as painful and challenging, or at times we can give up and say, you know what, I, this isn't for me. Or we start doing those but God excuses. Like, but God, do you know what we just went through? But God, do you know how challenging what's ahead of us can be? But when we give up, we, we fail to see the rewards that God has in store for us if we commit to doing the good things that God has called us to do. And so my challenge to you this week is this, is when disruptions enter into your life, don't give up, but lean in. When God puts moments in front of you, say, yes, God. Don't start a laundry list of excuses saying, God, right now is not the good time. You know, but God, I don't have a car. I've got to drive a bus. Don't start giving God excuses, but start saying, yes, God, where do you want to take me? And allow yourself to grow from those disruptions that you find in your life. Let's stand and sing together.